Welcome to Fringe Legal, where we explore innovation in action. I'm your host, Abhijat Sarasmith, and in each episode, we dive into conversations with changemakers who share ideas, insights, and lessons from their journey. Join us as we put theory into practice and shed light on the world of innovation like never before. Hello and welcome to this live session from ILTACON 2023. I am delighted to have a live in-person session with LexisNexis uh, with Jeff. And Jeff, would you mind just introducing yourself, who you are, what you do at Lexis? Absolutely. It's great to be with you first. I'm Jeff Pfeiffer and I'm Chief Product Officer for LexisNexis in the US, Canada and the UK. Quite a big remit and we'll dig into certainly what the impact of that is. And I'm sure as I found at ILTACON, AI is on the lips and minds of everyone and no one is sick of it yet, but I guess we stop there. Do you think as you've had conversations with people so far, are we right at the peak of the hype cycle, approaching the peak of the hype cycle somewhere else? Well, what's your stance on AI? It is interesting as you walk through the conference, AI signage is everywhere. It seems like every organization here is doing something on that front. And I'm, I'm not sure if we're at the peak of the hype cycle. I would say, as I reflect on the last six months, the conversations that I'm having with law firms now are very different than they were six months ago. Perhaps the promise of what's possible might be a, a bit of a hype peak, but I think law firms in particular are more engaged and more experimental that they have, than they have been at any phase of the process so far. And I think in order to get past the hype phase, we really have to get into that active work mode where people are seeing what's possible from the technology. And of course, a lot of your focus is on product side. Uh, and I assume that means that you're able to take a step back, maybe look at a Mac review and please tell me if I'm wrong about all of these things and really think about what is both the potential but in the future and the potential impact and application of AI, including generative AI today. Is that fair? It is. As I think about the last six to eight years where we have been intensely focused on deploying AI technologies, prior iterations of the technology were much more focused on what I refer to as extractive capabilities. Extractive AI, we refer to as technology that helps identify patterns, identify expressions of text. And in the current generations of AI tools that are now being widely discussed, I think what's so exciting is the ability to create text. And obviously in our market, our clients create a lot of documents and therefore the opportunity to have a significant impact on productivity is perhaps higher than in other markets. But I think that's why the hype is as high as it is because there is such strong alignment between the core capabilities of generative AI and what lawyers do every day. And we'll come back to the productivity point uh, in a minute because I think that's a good pin to put on, on that topic and there's a lot we can discuss there. Uh, and of course, at Lexis, you, uh, as one of the other fringe legal subsidiaries covered, you released Lexis Plus AI. Talk a little bit more about that just to set the stage on what Lexis is doing today. If we rewind the clock, we started working in the space a number of months ago, thinking like many that there's a huge opportunity here to help lawyers find things better, draft initial drafts better, summarize information better. These were 
all things that we saw a strong connection between the technical capability and things our clients do every single day. Important to us always is that we look at the use case first and say what technology is potentially well-suited to the use case. And in, and in this situation, the support offered by generative AI in particular allowed us to explore, explore ways to improve the way our clients work. And we also saw an opportunity to address what was a topic starting to appear on everybody's uh, list, which was the topic of hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the space now is familiar with the horror stories of hallucinations, especially in the legal market. And we saw an opportunity in the way we apply generative AI technology to control for that problem and to, in an aspirational sense, achieve 100% hallucination-free citation world where we could verify that everything referenced mm. in an answer was verifiable and accurate legal authority. So that's what we started uh, to do, leveraging the technology and the capability. And in May, we announced a new tool called Lexus Plus AI, which is our first application at scale of generative AI technology. And as I've alluded, it really focuses on core use cases that we think are critical to lawyers, asking questions of an online service in a conversational way, which has not been possible in the past, drafting basic documents and clauses, and also summarizing, uh, which we identified as three key areas that our clients wanted us to pursue. And you talked about hallucinations, and for anyone who at least doesn't know the term, I'm sure they all know the impact of it. It's essentially the models making up an answer which seems realistic. So fact-checking required for sure. And you said aspirationally you want to be 100% hallucination-free. Do you think that's possible? I think it's possible for sure in citation references. So we have mechanisms and controls in our current product that prohibit a citation reference if we can't validate it. That is one thing that a company like ours with deep access to authoritative content, tools like Shepard's, were able to ensure that citation references are 100% accurate. I don't think more broadly yet the industry is at a place where it can warrant 100% hallucination-free answers, but we can control them in a significant way. And the technology steps that we take are designed to ensure we ground our generative AI capabilities against trusted data sets. Those data sets from LexisNexis are intended to reduce the rate of hallucination to the lowest possible rate. Got it. And of course, a key component to any large language model is the data behind it. Both the core data source that is trained on initially, so if you think about something like OpenAI and the, the corpus of data they use, and then the further fine-tuning and the, the subsequent training that an individual or a company might do to provide more reliable results is the best way I can phrase it. Is that the approach that you've taken? Because of course, Lexus as a organization, you have a huge, absolutely ginormous corpus of data at your fingertips, which you charge money for, understandably so. So is this kind of the behind the scenes software without you spilling all of the beans on how you can achieve a high degree of accuracy, that sort of fine tuning and reliance on your 
human in loop or some verified data source then? Absolutely. Let's take a step back and think about the large language model providers. They're incredibly good at what they do, but large language models themselves are probabilistic mathematical calculations of language. That means a model is using a probability calculation to decide what text should come next. And sometimes it gets it right. A lot of the times it does. And sometimes it gets it wrong. And large language models are known for those of, who have read about the area to be assertively confident in the way they answer the question. So it reads the best as liars, it, Yeah, exactly. They're, they're uh, really good at filling in gaps, yeah. especially where they don't have information. Large language models broadly ingest content only about twice a year. And that's true from all of the large language model providers. So if you're using those models, you have to augment those models with more current, more accurate information, especially in the law. So that's what we do. And uh, we use a number of techniques to expose the model at the actual runtime of the inquiry against the LexisNexis database. So that large, deep database that you referenced, we use to control the model performance and ensure that the answers it's giving back are current, accurate, and as hallucination-free as possible. And I think that really is the challenge in law. We have to get it right. The answers have to be accurate, and we have to make sure that the model has access to these vast data stores, which help create better answers. And one of the things that you touched on before is this ability for your users to now ask questions in a natural language-driven way. And one of the things I've mentioned in, in the past has most people, I think, see the potential of generative AI. And, but I think they look at it from a, what can you do with it? Um, to me, at least personal view is, or fringe legal view is, I don't think that's the right approach. I think it unlocks a different kind of transformation in which, for the first time ever, you can ask the computer what you want, regardless of how complex your query is, and it can give you an answer. As you mentioned, that's one of the things that is enabled in the new Lexus offerings. When you show it to people, is that the key thing that they're excited by? And they, they no longer have to navigate menus and submenus and whatever else it might be to get the answer. They can just ask the question that's on their mind. I actually take a slightly different point of view. I think that what they're most excited by is they can engage with the service like they're talking to another human. Mm. And where in this conversation, we have our exchange, we can retain contextual reference for what we've talked about. You can follow up with a question. That's never been possible in the world of search. As great as search was, yeah. it's about finding documents that match a query where with generative AI, the individual is really in a position to have a conversational interaction with the service. And at the end of that conversational interaction, you can ask it to produce something for you, much like you would a colleague that you were working on a legal task with. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think at the end of the day, that's what our clients get so excited about that they never really wanted to search. They wanted insights that they could use to advance whatever the legal task was they were working on. And I think that's what's enabled here, at least in the early days, what we can see so far. They like that conversational loop and then the ability to connect that interaction with a specific outcome that they're looking to drive. 
Yeah, and I said it in a separate conversation in the past where I, I framed it as a controversial opinion and I was very quickly called up that it wasn't controversial, which is people don't really care about AI. They, they couldn't care less how you're solving the problem. They just want a solution to the, the problem, right? And I think AI from both a marketing and a technical approach, yes, it's important for people to understand how it works. But the end users, whether you use generative AI, use some other branch of artificial intelligence, couldn't care less probably as soon as you as long as you're giving them an answer in a coherent way quickly that tends to be the the barometer so that's just a monologue i'm not really asking a question but i completely agree with that sentiment actually because i always say to our teams at LexisNexis that we're doing our job best Mm. if the user has absolutely no idea what technology is running in the back end and we should be selecting technologies that help accomplish the task better not applying a technology simply to apply the technology. And in this case, I think the measure is really how the individual is able to interact with the information differently than they were in the past and take it a step further, actually create work product, Mm -hmm. create something that is a starting point of a follow-up legal activity. And if we do our jobs right, again, when I use words like productivity, what I'm really thinking about is how do we help the individual take that task activity to a further point and create some efficiency in their workflow activity. And then the three subcategories you you mentioned before was find, draft, and summarize. As we think about productivity, is there one of those three where you think, given what you've done so far, I won't ask you to predict the future too much just now, are those one of those areas that's really heavily impacted where you're seeing just outsized returns from what Gen AI and generally the state of technology today has been able to deliver compared to what was possible a year ago? I would phrase it this way. I see where we're doing best now and where we have the biggest opportunity in the future. Search is where we're doing best. So the ability to ask and get really high quality answers rooted in the proper legal authority That builds on our heritage in this space, and it's not surprising that uh, we're seeing really high-quality early returns. In the future, I think draft and drafting broadly offers the biggest opportunity. And we're seeing really strong early performance, but over time, I expect it to get even higher quality, meaning the length of a document that one could draft will extend and increase or, or be improved the types of things that are reviewed for drafting will expand. And in our world, uh, our ability to extend that internationally will also expand so that we can take these capabilities to other legal markets with, with other languages that are rooted in the solution. So I think that area, because of what lawyers do, that is the area that has the most compelling future. And I think we're going to see great iterative development in the space where new development capabilities are continually introduced that improve the quality of the draft and the outcome of of the drafting task. Yeah. And what's really interesting is in the past, and take past to be the last five years, the last decade or plus, generally as new technical stacks and capabilities become unlocked, you often find that there is a lot of startups and smaller companies that are the first to jump on that, right? Usually the incumbents, let's look outside of legal, the incumbents of Microsoft and Google and Meta, 
And all of those companies are usually slower to respond to that. It's a much more disruptive thing. But at least in my sort of memory, this is one of the very first times where you have the big dogs, I'm going to call them, and Lex is certainly one of them in legal. You guys are leading the pack when it comes to coming up with solutions. And I assume, please tell me you know, what your opinion is. It's because the the capability to be able to take these things in and plug them into your existing stack is a lot easier. Not to say that it's easy, but usually it's an additive thing rather than a completely disruptive thing to all of the other product lines that you have. Do you think that's a fair thing? Because I see a lot fewer startups coming in and doing something similar to what you're offering than what I might have assumed in the past. And even if I look out at what OpenAI, Microsoft, and all these companies are doing, there's a bunch of startups absolutely entering the field, but the amount of development coming out of those big trillion-dollar companies is just staggering compared to for anything else that's happened in the past. Yeah, I see really three things driving that. The first is the access to high-quality content. We've talked earlier about how answers are informed and generative results are created by accessing high-quality content. And there are a limited number of organizations that have the depth and breadth of collection that we do. Uh, so that, that is an inherent advantage that we have, and we can build on the depth of that collection. The second is resource. And as I look back at our own AI journey, we were fortunate to have made a specific and overt investment in building a larger set of data science skills and content engineering skills over the last six to eight years. And that is paying significant dividends now. It is a space that requires those very advanced skills. And if you don't have them in your organization, it's hard to imagine that you'll be successful at implementing generative AI capabilities organically. And then the third area is just stunning to me to watch the last six months in particular and how the cloud providers have built secure infrastructure that allows companies like ours to deploy a custom version of a model that is inherently disconnected from the main model itself. User interactions are private and secure. And so for us, that's meant alliances with AWS and with Microsoft to leverage the model capabilities that they now offer within their infrastructure. And at LexisNexis, we use and have, a, have announced uh, earlier this year a, a collaboration with Microsoft, where we have deployed the GPT capabilities within Microsoft Azure. And uh, we recently confirmed uh, our use of Anthropic's model How and deployed it as the, the first company to deploy a custom model in Amazon's new Bedrock service. Mm. Both of those services, they, that might sound a little inside baseball, but the cloud providers have brought a technical maturity to the large language model space that allows us and us operating in an industry like law, the ability to bring a model that's highly secure and the interactions uh, are not going to be subject to the things that we all read about relative to other mishaps that have happened with large language models. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And I think, I, I don't know if you're the first or the only, but certainly the first one I've heard of 
that's implemented the Claude 2 API. So that's amazing with Anthropic because that offers you certainly the significantly larger context window. And I imagine you can do a lot more. So that's awesome. And obviously you're, I don't want to say hedging your bets. That's my words of working with AWS and, and with Azure, which is important because depending on everyone will have a different infrastructure. So I guess that, that supports that. What's the, talk to me a little bit more about the relationship with Microsoft. And I pick on them specifically because in law and legal, they come up a lot more, not just because of the core office products, but so many of the firms certainly here in North America are deployed on Azure and yeah, using the Azure OpenAI implementation. That's important. But yeah, what's your relationship with them and how do you see that going in the future? Microsoft has just been critical to the legal market forever, it seems. And we started active co-development with Microsoft all the way back in the late 90s. So we've enjoyed a relationship working with them directly over a long period of time. And at LexisNexis, a number of years ago, a lot of organizations were making big bets about platforms that would manage workflow and other workflow activities we took a slightly different view, and I'm, I'm glad that we did years later. We bet that Microsoft would remain the center of the lawyer's daily activity. And I think to a large degree, that's still very much true. When you look at, here we are at ILTA, and ILTA survey data continues to reaffirm that's where lawyers spend most of their day. And, and those numbers are increasing now with new capabilities and new tools. So we've had a concentrated effort in working in a collaborative way with Microsoft. We announced a number of capabilities a few weeks ago that are designed for the Microsoft online environment. And, uh, and we intend to bring generative AI capabilities to places like Word, Outlook, and Teams in the next few months, because ultimately our strategy is driven by getting these insights to the point of lawyer work activity. And 80% of the time, that's in a Microsoft product. Our, our strategy is focused on bringing those insights to where lawyers work. At other times, they'll come to us and they'll visit us like they have for many years. But I really believe that it's critical that we solve the need for information insights at the point of work activity. And uh, I'll ask a slightly cheeky question. Is Lexus now an AI company? If I go and poll your employees, is that, or is AI a way to enable it? And I guess another way to ask that question is, I'm assuming you're not only developing products that could be improved with generative AI or other branches of artificial intelligence. You're still doing the core product development and you know, polling your user base and the clients to figure out what their needs are. Yeah, I mean, we, we're fond of the expression that says uh, lawyers that use AI will be better off than lawyers that do not. And uh, as a company, we are an AI-enabled company that we believe will solve problems better than if we were not using AI. I think as we look forward, uh, there are still many problems to solve and ways to use AI that we haven't even imagine today. So we're early in that journey. If, uh, if you think of a, a six to eight year window now as early in the journey, but in a technology sense, the, the pace is picking up with such speed. And I think it'll be remarkable to look back in three to five years at how far the industry has come 
how much it has benefited. There's too much debate right now about AI replacing lawyer jobs, when in fact we know there is tremendous inefficiency in the way legal services work product is created. There are so many ways to improve that process. At LexisNexis, our mission as an organization is to support and develop the rule of law. And we know that 80% of individuals that interact with the courts have no legal representation. So what could we do aspirationally if we were able to take these technical capabilities and enable a world where anyone who wants access to legal services can get it because we can produce legal services work product in a highly efficient way at the right price point for the right consumer. Got it. Um, so just wanted to change gears a, a little. So we've spoken a lot about Lexis and the product development and my one core theme that's come up a few times is sounds like this isn't just the overnight success. Obviously the organization's been around I think over a hundred years now, right? Our UK team has been in business since 1818. So quite a long time. And then different parts of our organization, LexisNexis, the core service that most people know turned 50 this year and our interaction CRM turned 30. So it's interesting, different parts of the portfolio have yeah. a different legacy. And you've obviously been making, as you alluded to a couple of times, these bets over the last decade or so that are starting to set the foundation and you can really capitalize on them. So that's great to hear. We're here at Iltacon and there's a lot of sessions. I'm sure you've had and we'll have lots and lots of meetings. Your agenda will be packed. So we're in day one and a half. But so far, the conversations you've had with firms, with other providers and partners, uh, any sort of themes or key takeaways that you want to mention that would be useful for the audience? I think the one topic that I hear so much about relates to the hype question. Can the technology avoid the trough of dissolutionment yes. that often people talk about in an adoption cycle. That's something I've been talking with clients about here, and many are expressing they actually do think it will be possible to avoid that dip, primarily because they're seeing early benefits from their own experimental work. And I think that's really exciting because, again, as I said earlier, six months ago, most firms had no active experimentation underway. Six months later, almost every MLAW 200 firm has some kind of active experimentation and development taking place. So I think if we can avoid that trough, if we can avoid the naysayers that we saw emerge in earlier technologies like blockchain and others that if you came to ILTA years ago, you would have heard people talk about. I think what's different this time is this is real. People are putting the technology to work already. Yeah, and I think that that's true. And the other difference, at least from my perspective, is there, there's the level of interest from the end users, which that helps drive all of the, the buyers and the people who implement and adopt the technology to continue going, right? And I don't know what will happen in the future. No one does, but I suspect there will be a dip in some form or fashion where Hopefully there's a dip because this becomes a mainstream thing, that this is no longer that novel piece of technology that everyone's going to interact with. And over time, hopefully where it makes sense, people will just communicate with the technology by asking a question and expecting a response rather than just being like, wow, this exists, this is insane. And then there will be the next 
thing that comes out, uh, which whenever that might be, and we'll, we'll all be talking about it in Ilta five years from now. I think when you reflect on that, almost everyone has some kind of personal experience with a large language model. Now, there's the famous adoption curve chart, which shows Netflix taking 16 years to get to 100 million right. users and ChatGPT reaching that in two months. And I think what that reflects is that outside of work environment, people are experimenting with large language models, helping their children at home, maybe with a homework assignment using large language models. So I think what's different in this round of technology is that people are seeing the benefit. And I had one global 20 law firm reflect that this knowledge management leader commented that she is now engaging with people throughout the firm that have never talked to uh, the group before, that partners and fee earners and others are intimately interested in what the benefits might be for the organization. I think that's really exciting. I think it suggests there's a future for knowledge management and, and how we can more efficiently and effectively produce work product. Yeah, and I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up. So Jeff, thank you so much for coming on Fringe Legal and appreciate your time, taking some time out of the busy schedule here at Iltecon 2023. It's great to be with you, Ab. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Fringe Legal. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the mind of innovators, sharing their ideas to inspire us all. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We hope these discussions have sparked your own ideas and helped you think about how you can put them into practice. Until next time, stay curious and keep pushing the boundaries.